Well, good morning. Once again, welcome to Calvary Chapel. And those of you joining us online, glad you could join us this way. This way. Um, woke up this morning and saw the pouring rain. It was 37 degrees. The wind was blowing. And I thought, man. And then I thought, you know, we should uh, remember that this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, regardless of what's going on outside. We can still rejoice that the Lord is our Savior, that he loves us. The, this last song, Overwhelmed, so often we forget. and We don't call to mind those things that God has done for us. But when we sit down and we think about it, we ponder them, how overwhelming it is that the God of all creation knows the very number of hairs on our head. I have no idea what that number is. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Uh, let's, let's, uh, we'll be uh, going through uh, chapter 1 of Colossians today, but let's, let's first open up a prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we could gather together. We thank you for your word that you have given to us. Father, we thank you that your spirit teaches us leads us and guides us. Father, we pray that your spirit would be the one teaching all of us here this morning. For we need you, Lord. We don't want to go off in our own direction. We don't want to make you out to be who we want you to be. But we want to know you. We want to grow in knowledge of who you are and worship you in spirit and truth. Help us and lead us and guide us this day as we go through your word. We thank you for this time together, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So please open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I'd like to share with you Epaphras, was someone that Paul writes about in his letter, in this letter, and who Paul considers a dear fellow servant and a faithful minister of Christ. He's one who is believed to have founded the church in Colossae. And Epaphras visited Paul during Paul's imprisonment in Rome. And it is believed that because of Epaphras' report to Paul about the conditions in Colossae is what prompted Paul to write this letter to the church there. Apparently there were some that were attempting to add speculative and legalistic beliefs and traditions and practices to the gospel, which had the potential to dilute the gospel to lead people away from the true gospel of the kingdom and to distract them from truly following Jesus. So Paul warned them about these things and he encouraged them to continue in faith, grounded and steadfast. And as you all know, we too live in a day where there is so much information in things and amusements and misinformation and entertainment and all sorts of stuff that can lead us astray from following Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So today I'd like to take a look at God's Word and and not focus on all the things that could possibly lead us astray because that's virtually endless. But instead, let's look at what God's Word says about how we can stay steadfast in His Word and continue to follow Him faithfully. So I'm going to read through by, begin by reading through Colossians chapter 1. I'll be reading through verse 23. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has to all the world and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may have a walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist." And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's take a look at this passage a little bit more closely. A lot of it is very straightforward, and you don't need me to explain things to you. And most of you have walked with the Lord long enough where anything I say would be more of a reminder than teaching you something new. So I look at what I'm going to share this morning as more of a reminder and an encouragement. Beginning in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren, in Christ, who are in Colossae. It's it's important to remember who this was written to. It was written to believers. And the church in Colossae was was primarily a Gentile church. And Paul saw them as faithful. And how did he know they were faithful? We'll see later as as we read through it. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ praying always for you. 
This wasn't a church that was planted. It was, these weren't people that were led to say a prayer and then were left on their own to go off and try to figure out things. They were people, the church. Paul was thankful for them. And he was praying for them. I don't know about you. I know that in many ways Paul was a believer just like us, but I see Paul as someone that was really special. And wouldn't it be cool to know that the Apostle Paul was praying for you? Is there anyone in your life that you look up to in some way as following the Lord that might be praying for you? Are there people that you know that you're praying for? for their continued spiritual growth, their help. Maybe it's people that you don't even see anymore. Are there people in your life that need help or that the Lord brings to mind sometime? You may not have thought about them for years. You go, why did I think about them? <laughs> Maybe it's the Lord prompting you to say a quick prayer for them or to give them a call. Maybe they need some encouragement. These were people that Paul was thankful for and continued praying Occasionally, no, praying always for them. In verse 4, it says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. This apparently was a church that wasn't divided and, and looking for differences, but they were holding on to the unity that they had in Christ. They had a love for all the saints, not showing partiality to others. Whether they were rich or poor or whatever their background was, they had a love for all of them. And that's the sort of love that we should have for others. Not looking at, well, are they a Baptist? Are they a Lutheran? Are they from there? Are they rich, uh, work a rich job? Or are they a, a janitor or, or whatever? or whatever? It doesn't matter. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we should love them. We should love others as Jesus loves us. Verse 5, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Is your hope this day laid up in heaven? When you're discouraged and things are down, do you remember that, hey, this isn't our home. My hope is in heaven. We look at what's going on in our country. We look at what's going on to believers in different parts of the world, whether it's North Korea or Nigeria or, or Somalia, just to name a couple. I'm certain that those believers aren't looking and saying, oh, Lord, this just isn't right. They're looking, Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in heaven. Continuing verse 6, which has come to you as it has to all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. God's grace unmerited favor. We don't deserve a single breath of life. We don't deserve another heartbeat, let alone food on our table and clothes to wear, let alone a, an abundant meal. How many of you are going to have Thanksgiving? And it might be a little bit different this year, but even at your, on a regular day, compared to what some people have had in the past and what some people have today, we have feasts on a daily basis. Wow, how blessed we are. All of that because of God's grace. But the greatest grace is the gift of Jesus and our salvation. And they're seeing, seeing fruit, bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard. 
the fruit that we look at. You know, sometimes we look and we see someone that's an evangelist and he's, he's led thousands of people to the Lord and say, oh, he's, he's bearing much fruit. But maybe the fruit that we have in our own life, that we just go out and we, we share with someone, we show love to someone who, who is on the streets asking for help. The fruit of the Spirit, the first one listed, is love and joy, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Are we bearing that fruit? A tree doesn't stand there with its roots in the ground and go, oh, I need to make an apple today. I need to make an orange. It just bears fruit because that's what it's created to do. We are created by God to bear much fruit. So I encourage you to consider not to look at other people and see what they're doing, but to look even at the simple things in our life. The love that we show to others is so important. Continuing verse 7. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Epaphras, a faithful minister of Christ. Okay, he planted a church in Colossae and probably several others. And he was somebody that Paul trusted. But we each can be faithful ministers of Christ. Whether we have a formal ministry, God has given us all a ministry. And we can be faithful ministers of Christ wherever we go just within our own families, with our wives, with our neighbors. I'm encouraging you to be a faithful minister wherever God calls you each day. Continuing verse 9, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. It's the second time that Paul mentions as praying for them. Do you think prayer was important in Paul's life? Is prayer important in our life? Is it the first thing we turn to? Or is it the last resort? Tried everything else, guess I'll have to pray now. And why was he praying for him? To ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Sometimes we might not know how to pray for someone. We can always be praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. What, how important it is to know on a daily basis, Lord, what's your will for my life? If he's really Lord of our life, if we look at the kingdom of God, and he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and that's what we call him, do we seek his will each day? Or do we go about doing our own things and then at the end of the day say, thank you, Lord? Do we go forward with the confidence knowing that we've sought him first in our life? Say, Lord, you're the Lord of my life. It's not I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Have your way with me this day and be filled with wisdom and spiritual understanding that we would be able to share with others, that we would have some understanding. And many times it's, it's difficult. Lord, what are you doing? We look at the circumstances. But if we look at it in a spiritual light, Lord, you're teaching me something here. Help me to be sensitive to your spirit. Help me to see what you want from me. 
And why was Paul praying these things? Let's look at verse 10. That you may have a walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. A walk worthy of the Lord. Is that where our walks are at? There's some days where I could say maybe, and there's other days where I look back at the end of the day and go, Lord, what a mess, what a mess I made of this day. To walk worthy of the Lord. If we look at the Lord, we look at Paul, but let's not look at other, other people. Let's look at the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we seek to please him with our lives? Not out of a desire to earn our salvation or to earn God's love. We've already talked of God's grace but out of love for him, to demonstrate his love for him. How often are we willing to set aside the things and the conveniences of our life to do something for someone else to help them because we know it would be difficult for them? Or they just not want to. Let's deny ourselves and walk worthy of the Lord. Lord, what do you want from me this day? The word fully pleasing him. Occasionally, once in a while, fully. I'd like to say, as I stand before you, I know that I fully please the Lord each and every day. But I can't. If I, want to, I can only say that if I wanted to lie to you. But that's my goal. That's my desire, to be fully pleasing to the Lord. Continuing in verse 11. Paul would also be praying that they would be strengthened with all might. Not that we become bodybuilders and show people how much weight we can live, but spiritually, to be able to be strong in the midst of difficulty. When someone's lifting weights, there's a strain on their muscles. It's a struggle. If we're spiritually strong, when times are easy, it's easy to be spiritually strong. But when times are difficult, Paul knew that there would be difficulty in their lives and there's difficulty in our lives. Each one of us is dealing with something in some way. Some is probably more serious than others or more severe. But there's difficulties in all of our lives. Do we pray for others? Lord, strengthen them in the power of your might. According, it says in 11, according to his glorious power. Not to the glorious power of any other person, but God's power, which is unlimited. He's all-powerful. And he wants to bless us with that power. He wants to. And why? As I started to say before in verse 11, at the end of that verse, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Patience here can also be translated perseverance or endurance with joy. That's why we need his power, his strength, to be strengthened in spiritual might, that when we come across difficulties, that we would persevere And yet in the midst of that, to have joy. It's difficult, isn't it? We're going through difficulties, even minor difficulties. I know this past week, uh, Thursday, Friday, there were just some things on my mind, and I was was this moody, unpleasant person to be around, honestly. And uh, I was still praying. I was still seeking the Lord. I was still in his word. But I'd forgotten where my joy comes from. And I was looking at things that were concerning me that, would, that might happen. Things that could possibly happen. Things that aren't quite right the way I want them to be. Not looking at the Lord and all that he has blessed me with. And even if I have nothing else to look 
at the promise of salvation. I took my eyes off of him. Still praying, but I asked him, it wasn't that I lost faith, but my focus wasn't on him. Say, okay, Lord, it's all going to work out. I trust you. I trust you. In verse 12, Paul is also giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. It is the Father who has qualified us. We're not qualified on our own. God, here I stand before you all on my own. It's like, gosh, Joe, you're messed up, man. (laughs) But I stand before him and I say, I'm here trusting in Jesus Christ. And he says, oh, my child, for we are children of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for calling me your child. It's nothing I deserve. In verse 13, it says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. That in itself is such a blessing. And He's conveyed us. He hasn't just delivered us from darkness, but He's conveyed us. He's transferred us into the kingdom of His Son, of His love. How awesome that is, that we don't have to be overwhelmed by the powers of darkness. We might live in the midst of it, but that's not where we are anymore. We are in His kingdom, even now. Someday we look forward to being in His presence, but right now we are in His kingdom, and He is King of kings and Lord of lords of His kingdom right now. Do we live as though a child of God in His kingdom? I just shared with you, sometimes I don't. I forget. It talks about... Verse 14, and we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. You all know this. I knew this before I got saved. I knew Jesus died for my sins, and it's because of him I'm forgiven. It was up here, but it hadn't traveled down into here yet. But we forget that. The Greek word that's translated here as image has two ideas expressed in it. The first one is in a likeness, as in uh, an image on a coin that has been stamped, a reflection in a mirror. Uh, A coin, when it's stamped, the coin has the same image of the mold that it was made from. It also has the the idea of manifestation, which is the sense that God is fully revealed in Jesus Christ. How awesome that is to remember who Jesus is. The manifestation of the Word in the flesh. the flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. How awesome that is. The writer of Hebrews says, the following about Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, and has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, the brightness of his glory, the Father's glory, The same glory that the Father has, the Son also had. The express image of his person, the idea is an exact likeness of who he is. Continuing verse 16, it says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. 
don't know about you, but on a daily basis, I don't use the word preeminence a whole lot. What is, what's the meaning of it? Well, let's first look at what it means, what eminent means. Eminent is just, it's high in rank, high in station. Preeminent means eminent above and before others, superior and surpassing. So verse 18 tells us, tells us that Jesus is preeminent in all things. He is above and before and superior to everything else. Can we acknowledge, we can acknowledge that intellectually, yes, he is. But can we honestly say that Jesus Christ is preeminent in our daily lives? Is he is the first and most important thing? We take time to, to shower, to comb our hair, so that way we at least don't look terrible. We want to look nice. We wash our clothes. We take care of ourselves. We feed ourselves. I said ourselves a whole lot, didn't I? But I didn't say the Lord first. Is Jesus preeminent in our daily lives? I think, you know, he should be. Is he above and before and superior and surpassing all things, everything else? Is Jesus just one of many aspects? There's the Lord, there's my family, there's my job, there's my house, there's my hobbies, there's my friends. Or is he preeminent over everything? Everything else, do we acknowledge him as Lord first and foremost over everything? He already is. I know before I got saved, I said a prayer um, years before I got saved and wanted to make Jesus first in my life. And so I tried really hard for as long as I could, and that lasted like three or six months maybe, and friends even said, We're, you know, what's changed about you? Just wanted Jesus to be first in my life. It wasn't until about seven or eight years later that I realized that Jesus was already first. I had drifted away from him. I didn't acknowledge him as first. Jesus already is preeminent. We need to acknowledge him and his preeminence in our own personal lives and in everything else. And when we remember that, the faith that we can have in him, the trust that we can have in him when times get difficult is beyond probably anything that any of us have experienced yet this, part, this far in our lives. It's beyond the difficulties he's, difficulties he's gotten us through so far. Continue verse 19. It says, It pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated in enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now he has reconciled. It can be difficult to forgive someone in our lives. I know some people will hold on to bitterness or anger toward others who have hurt them in, in some way. And we hold on to that because they were wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong when I walked around telling people that I was a Christian and I went out doing all sorts of ungodly things. If somebody would ask me, even in those situations, are you a Christian? I'd say, yeah, 
I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And yet I, maybe it was 90% of my life looked like I was. Maybe it was 99%. Maybe it was just 1%. It doesn't matter. It wasn't my entire life. God has every reason not to forgive me. He has every reason to, hold, to be bitter toward me. You walked around claiming the name of Jesus Christ, and yet you did these things? How dare you? Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. And yet he doesn't. He came to him one morning and said, Lord, forgive me for my sins. And he did. And he's cast him as far as from the east as from the west. East is from, east is from the west. Thank you, Lord for making peace for me, for reconciling me. Not because of who I am, but because of his great love. Ah. We were once alienated and enemies, but now he has reconciled us. In verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Jesus wants to present us, his body, the church, to the Lord, holy and blameless. There's no blame there anymore. It's gone. Above reproach. We look at different people in politics today and don't know what we can believe or if they're saying the truth. We look at people in the media and Say, I don't know if I can believe this. I don't know if I can believe that. They're not above reproach. And we can point fingers at a whole bunch of other people and say, look at what's wrong with them. Are we living our lives above reproach? Out of love for the Lord. I want to make sure that if I say something to you, whether I'm standing up here or I'm sitting in the seats, or I'm at home, or I'm working in, in the garden, or whatever, I want you to know that you can believe what I'm saying and not go, well, I don't know, Joe said that. It might be true. We want to be above reproach. We want our actions to be a testimony of the truth that is within us, not just in the words we speak, with the things we do, above reproach. And then verse 23, he will present us that way. He will present us holy and blameless and above reproach if indeed you continue steadfast, you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven. There have been a number of prominent Christians throughout history, but even recently, who have moved away from the hope of the gospel that they heard. And people look and go, how can you do that? I don't know. I don't know. Once you know the truth of the gospel, it's like Peter said to Jesus when the, many of the disciples walked away from him in John chapter 6. He said, are you going to leave me too? And Peter said, where else are we going to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go for the hope that we have? And yet some people drift away. 
They're moved away. How can we avoid being one of those spiritual casualties? Verse 23 gives us the answer. By continuing in the faith, continuing, ongoing, moment by moment, daily. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, there's a warning. And it says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. What does it mean to exhort someone? It's to urge them. To urge, advise, or caution earnestly. To admonish urgently. There's a sense of importance a sense of now is the time. It's to give urgent advice, recommendations, or warnings, to remind, comfort, encourage. We are to do that daily. Exhort one another. This implies the need for fellowship with other believers. We can't exhort one another if we're, if we're not around others, or at least in communication with them. And it's easier many times if, if you have a, a wife or a husband, if you're married, you have a spouse or family members that love the Lord too, and you can encourage one another each day. But there's some people that are married to an unbelieving spouse. There may be no one else in their family that's a believer. They leave here, they come here for some encouragement, and they leave, and where do they turn? They may not have someone that they can talk to. Do we reach out to people like that? We can't obviously reach out to everyone. But every one of us can reach out to at least one other person. And maybe it's not a daily thing, but what an encouragement it is. There was someone that I had, I was uh, washing dishes a number of years ago. And, well, about a year and a half ago or so. I was washing dishes a number of years ago. Time goes by so fast and I get confused. Oh, no, that wasn't the last time. (laughs) Wow, it could have come across that way, didn't it? (laughs) Okay, well, there was this one time out of many that I was washing some dishes. And I was in the middle of doing it. I was almost done. And the thought came to mind. I thought of someone who I hadn't thought of in a while. And the thought came to my mind, call that person. But I'm almost done, and I'm... No, call that person. Put down what I was doing. And dried up my hands, left it, made a phone call. Now, this person I had tried to reach out to several times over the past several years. Text messages wouldn't get a response. Phone would just go into the voicemail, and it would say, mailbox is full. And so here I have this thought, reach out to this person. Really? Now? But I did. Made the phone call. The phone was answered after the first ring. Thank you for calling me. Without going into all the details, while I'm talking to this person who who doesn't know the Lord, he knows about the Lord, but he's not walking with the Lord as best as I know. It led to a long conversation about seeking the Lord and the importance of him. It led to this person asking for a sign that he said, I just wish God would give me a sign, some sort of sign. I said, yeah, I, I often do too. Lord, show me. Just make it really clear. 
Well, we, we went someplace together. We pulled into a parking spot. And there were a number of places where I could have parked. And I parked in this one spot. And we're talking. We're talking about the Lord. There was a house across the street from this parking lot. And out, this car pulls in. Husband and wife get out of the car. And they walk toward us, toward the end of their driveway. And this guy's wearing a T-shirt. And I'm not kidding you. The teacher's T-shirt said, Jesus is Lord. You're looking for a sign? (laughs) I'm not saying it's always going to happen. But the importance of being sensitive to the Spirit and encouraging others, reaching out and exhorting one another, pointing the way to Jesus, putting aside washing dishes. I'm not saying it's not important. Yeah, you've got to keep your house clean and stuff. Anything I can use to get out of doing dishes. No, I'm... But put aside the things sometimes. Be sensitive. You have a thought about someone, maybe it's just to pray for them. Maybe it's not to give them a call. The importance of exhorting one another daily is an urgent thing. It has a sense of urgency. Now is the time. How many times I think of someone, I go, oh yeah, I'll I'll give them a call later. Then a week turns into a month, turns into several months. Sometimes life takes us to places where we can't have that constant fellowship for whatever reason. But we can always have fellowship with the Lord. Now, even when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he said, give us this day our daily bread. In Luke it says, give us day by day our daily bread. But it basically implies the need for daily prayer. Daily reaching out, Lord, give me what I need for today. He says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Go before the Lord each day, and we have fellowship with him, if with no one else. And I know that Pastor Eric has encouraged you to be praying faithfully, unceasingly, and and I do too, and we've said it a lot because it's so important. And so look at this as as just uh, coming from from Paul, from the Lord, exhorting you to remember to pray fervently each day. In Psalm 5, verses 1 through 3, it says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry my King and my God, for to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. We look up because that's where our help comes from. I know that the best days, even the most difficult, worst days that I might have are better when I start them acknowledging Jesus is Lord of my life, acknowledging that God is the King of kings, Lord of lords, that he is my king and my God. Verse 23 in Colossians chapter 1 goes on to describe the type of faith we need to have, faith that is grounded. What does it mean to be grounded? To be laid upon a foundation, a sure, solid foundation, to be established. Luke wrote the gospel that he did to help Theophilus and others to have a faith that is grounded, built up on a foundation and established. And Luke, at the beginning of it, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered to them, delivered them to us, there were eyewitnesses. Okay, Luke's saying, this isn't just stuff that I've heard. I've talked to eyewitness people that saw this happen. 
It also seemed good to me, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. An orderly account. Luke was a doctor. What he did was he took all the information that he had from other writings from from those that he had spoken to, and he gave an orderly account based upon eyewitness testimony. In verse 4, it says, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Was there doubt in Luke's mind? There was certainty. I've checked this out, and now I'm giving you this account. And that's been handed down to us. Our faith isn't a blind faith. It's based upon certainty. Certainty free from doubt or reservation. Established as true and sure. Unquestionable. Indisputable. Fixed. Agreed upon. Settled. Those are all definitions of certainty. We can know with certainty who Jesus was. No. We can know with certainty who Jesus is. Amen? Amen. Who Jesus is. We can be certain of our faith. Verse 23 of Colossians chapter 1 goes on further to describe the type of faith we need to have. And it's a faith that is steadfast. Steadfast, being fixed in direction. Steadily directed. Firm in purpose. Resolution. Faith. Attachment, unwavering as a resolution. Firmly established, firmly fixed in place or position. Steadfast faith. I share these things with you. We went through who Jesus is, what he's done for us, who God is at the beginning of Colossians, going through all these things. King of kings and Lord of lords, he's done all these things for us. We have eyewitness testimony documented, not just in the book of Luke, but throughout the Bible. I hear Bible stories. No, these are Bible accounts. These aren't stories that someone made up. They're documented accounts of things that God has done throughout history. We can sit here right now and we've got this steadfast faith. But when the troubles come and the storms come, are you rooted and grounded in faith like a firm oak tree? Or are you a tumbleweed? I think about... Texas and seeing tumbleweeds. The wind blows this way and the tumbleweed goes that way and it goes the other way. And who knows where the tumbleweed's going to wind up. But if your roots are in Jesus Christ and you have that steadfast faith, we can stand firm in the midst of it. Then we need to remember, part of the the definition of of, uh, steadfast is fixed in direction, steadily directed. Where are we going? Where are we going? If we say, hey, honey, let's go for a drive. We're going to go out to Arizona. And we just start driving, and we don't remember and keep in mind where we're going. Where do we wind up? Well, we're going west. Maybe we'll wind up in Washington State or or Oregon. Um, (laughs) Where are we going? Paul writes in Philippians, for our citizenship is in heaven. That is where we belong. Citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. Do we remember that Jesus is returning for us? 
And I know we hear it, and we can preach it here, and we can talk about it, but on a daily basis, do we remember that? When we say, Lord, show me what you would have me to do this day. Maybe you're going to return this day. Praise you, we could be in your presence, but if not, help me be a faithful servant to you because, Lord, you are preeminent in my life. It's easy to drift away when we forget who God is. We forget who we are in our relationship with him. When we forget what he's done and when we forget where we're going. Where are we heading? Are we steadfast in that direction? This tells us that we need to press on in this life. Paul's example, again in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Paul writes, um, actually for verse, beginning in verse 9, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that, you, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. That I can fulfill what God has gotten a hold of us. Now, let's take hold of those things that he has for us, to take hold of them. Brethren, I do not count myself as to apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those which are ahead. Like the Israelites, so often we can look back at the onions and the leeks. Now, some of you don't like onions and leeks, okay? I get it. But they're looking back at the things that were precious to them in their life, maybe before they got saved or other things they had, Paul says, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to those which are ahead. I pre- In verse 11, he says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Jesus Christ. Let's press on together. Let's exhort one another. Let's remember those things. It's, it's like many times there's a time for fellowship or a time for a study or or time for prayer, and we just don't really feel like it. I can't speak for everyone, but I know I can speak for myself. Even the most tired times that I've had, when I've said, you know what, I'm going to go. Not out of legalism, but because I want to honor the Lord with my life, and I know that I need that fellowship. I need that fellowship with the Lord, and I know that I need that fellowship with others. And I walk away feeling refreshed and renewed and strengthened. Why? Because it's been the Holy Spirit working when we're gathered together. When two or more are gathered in His his name, He is in their midst. He's with us always, but there's something special about fellowship together. So I encourage you today to, to daily remember God's love for you, who Jesus is, what He's done for you, and to keep pressing toward the goal for the prize and the upward call of God in Christ Jesus to continue in faith, grounded and steadfast. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you this day and we thank you for your word. We thank you for people like Paul that you used in mighty ways, for people like Luke who took time to set in order an orderly account based upon eyewitness testimony. We thank you for those who we have in our lives other believers that we can go to when we're struggling, when we need prayer. Help us, Lord, to be humble and to reach out for prayer from other believers, people that we can confide in. 
Lord, thank you for this fellowship that you've gathered together, Lord. And that we don't walk through this walk of life alone. That we have other brothers and sisters that we can lean upon. That we have your Holy Spirit dwelling within us. That we have your word that we can read and remember the documentation and the accounts of who you are and what you've done. Thank you, Lord, for all of these things. Father, strengthen us in all might, in all spiritual might, that we can remain strong in the midst of difficulty and uncertainty, that we would not fear, but that we would have hope and peace and joy as we trust in you because we know that you are faithful. Lord, thank you for this time. We ask now that as we go forward that we would take the good news of the gospel of the kingdom beyond the walls of this building and that we would always demonstrate your love through our actions and whenever possible with words. Pray, Lord, that you would open up doors for us to share the gospel with someone this week in some way that maybe we haven't in the past. Help us, Lord, not to be fearful, but again, to go forward in the power of your might, the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us, all for your glory, that people would see our good works and glorify you, our Father in heaven. We love you, Lord, and lift all of this up to you in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Stand for our closing song.